Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. Okay, for our scripture reading this morning is Romans 13, 1 to 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. So we're moving our way through the book of Romans. Think of where we are now in this epistle. We're coming around to the final lap. Just a few more chapters and we're going to be done. It's been a wonderful study to ponder Paul's greatest epistle, and hopefully we've all benefited from Paul's writing. Remember again, Paul did not actually write this, he dictated it, which makes it more amazing when you think about it. He had a scribe that he said this to that wrote it all down. So this is a unique section that we're coming to in all of Paul's writings. He never goes into the Christian's responsibility to human government anywhere else in any of his letters except right here. Which makes sense when you think about who he's writing to. He's writing to the Christian community at Rome, which happened to be the center of the world at that time, the Roman capital of the great world empire. So it makes perfect sense for Paul to cover this, but also he's covered the sovereignty of God in history and salvation in the previous chapters, and now he touches upon God's sovereignty in human government because he tells us that the powers that be, the authorities that are established and instituted, are there by God's appointment. It's an amazing consideration. So this is a a passage that... Is needed for today. There's a lot of lawlessness today in our cities and in our country. And all that the words of Paul could ring out into our communities. People be made aware of what our responsibility is to human government, those that are in authority over us. So we're going to be touching upon it. Now, he had said in the previous chapter that 
Christians cannot take personal vengeance. Right at the end of chapter 12, when he's talking about that. But here, now, he he says that government can. Government has been established by God in order to execute his justice on those that are guilty of bad behavior. Put it in the vernacular, criminal activity today. Those that break the law and so on. But there could also be another reason why we find this in Paul's letter. And it could be that Paul had an apologetic reason for dealing with this subject. Remember, Christianity is a growing sect in the Roman Empire. And Paul may be wanting to protect the Christian community from any suspicions that they are trying to overthrow the government. Instead, he's telling them to be in submission to the governing authorities. And also, part of the Roman community was Jewish. We know that they had a segment that, was, that were Jewish believers in Rome because of Paul deals with the subject in the previous chapter, chapter 11. And generally, the Jewish people did not like the idea of submitting to a foreign power when it came to government. And so for these many reasons, this may be why Paul deals with this subject. But let's jump into the text. And um, I'm breaking it down into four parts this morning. Notice in verse 1, we find what the Christian's attitude is to be toward the government. How does Paul express it? He says, let every person. Now, I think Paul is actually going beyond just the Christian community. Anybody else that may be reading this who doesn't belong to Christ yet, let every person, let every soul, whether you're a believer or not, should be in submission to the governing authorities. Literally, it's just authorities in the original. They've added governing authorities just for clarification, not talking about authorities in the spiritual realm, because that is one of the designations of the spiritual world, authorities, according to Ephesians 6. But here Paul is talking about human government. Notice he doesn't say to obey. He says to submit. Now, submission may include obedience, but rather what Paul is reminding us of is that God has established an authority that is over all of us and that we are to be in a position of subordination to this authority established by him. Human government. I'll deal with it at the end that there may be occasions when we have to disobey the government. So it's good he didn't say obey it no matter what. He simply says, so submission has to do a lot with attitude to begin with. An attitude of submission. And then the recognition that we as Christians are to be in a a place of subordination, a place of submission to the governing authorities. That is, civil rulers, secular government, and the leaders. 
And notice Paul backs that up with a reason. I'm still in verse 1. Notice what he says. For there is no authority except from God. So this casts it in, in a way that makes it very clear right off why we should be in submission. The powers that be, the powers that exist, have been placed there by God himself. Whether it's the Caesar of Paul's time or in the present, whether you're living in a democracy with a president or in a monarchy with a king and a parliament or whatever happens to be the form of government that's over us. Some say there's ten forms of government. Others say seven. Some say five. Whatever that form is, we're to be in submission to it. You know, the Bible says clearly that God is the one who puts kings in their place of power as well as removes them. Think of Daniel 2.21. He removes kings and sets up kings. Daniel 2.21. Or in the book of Proverbs, now it's talking about wisdom there, and it's personifying wisdom, but clearly it's referring to God's wisdom, God himself, And Proverbs 8.15, By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. And remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said to Pontius Pilate when he was having that dialogue with him about his kingdom. And Pilate at one point says to him, Don't you know that I have the authority to put you to death? And Jesus said, You would have no authority to do anything with respect to me, except it were given to you from heaven. It was just reminding Pilate who was behind his authority. It was a God-given authority, and therefore, if it's God-given, then that person, that ruler, that civil government and leader is responsible to God ultimately for how he uses his authority and power. Those that exist have been instituted by God. So Paul is speaking in the present. He's referring right there to the Caesar, those that exist presently. And notice as we go through this that Paul is presenting government pretty much in a positive light. He's not saying anything negative about the government in this passage. Nothing negative. It's all positive. Because he wants to encourage Christians to do the right thing and everything will be fine if you do what the law requires. He's putting it all very positive, which I think is important if people have a right view. See, it has to do with our attitude toward government. A person has a very negative view of government and the police and all the other forms of authority over us, then what does that lead to? A bad attitude and to disobedience when it's not called for. Form of rebellion. Now notice in the second verse, the consequences of resisting the government. My second point. Now, he's going to elaborate on that in the following verses, but here 
he's going to really spell it out, the consequences of resisting the government. Therefore, he says, whoever resists... Now, this is, this is the opposite of being in submission. So if a person is resisting the government, what would that be? Well, that would be um, perhaps disobeying the law, but it could be the um, just re- refusing compliance with the government. This is is the opposite of submission. It's to oppose the governing authorities, is how I put it. So just think of when we break the law, regardless of what law it is, even the driving uh, law, speed limit law, this is how we have to think of it. These are laws of the land. These are laws that the government has determined for us. That we are in a, that, that is a form of resistance to the government. Those that resist the authorities resist what God has appointed. So Paul is putting it as this is a serious thing when we resist what God has appointed. And if we do resist for some reason, we should have a very good reason for doing so. And again, we'll, I'm going to mention that more at the end. But here, here's the reason why it's not a good idea to resist the government. Notice, and those who resist will incur judgment. There it is there. So, defying the government, having an attitude of resistance... It can lead to some negative consequences. And here Paul puts it in the form of inviting judgment upon ourselves. This would be judgment inflicted by the government, which also perhaps could refer to judgment later, eschatological judgment, as some say, that is, in the future, referring to God's judgment. But now in verses 3 to 5, Paul is going to give us four reasons why we should submit to the governing authorities. Let's go through it together. Verse 3, For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. So right off he tells us that the government is there to encourage good conduct. And that, that's a good thing. That's a reason why we should want human government, why we should want to be in submission, because it encourages good conduct. But rulers are not a terror. That is, they don't cause fear is what Paul means, to good conduct, but to bad. The bad behavior, criminal behavior, resisting the government. And then he he asks this question, would you, and here he personalizes it, makes a question, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? 
Do you want to live without fear of the government? It's all very simple. Very simple. Do what is right, do good, and avoid the bad. And you'll have the approval of those over us. So government is there to encourage good behavior and to discourage bad behavior. Verse 4, for he is God's servant. Now, this is another reason, I would add this, I'd make a reason out of this, why we should be in submission to the governing authorities. Paul calls our government God's servant. It's interesting. And the word for servant here is the one for deacon. But actually, the original idea of the word that's translated servant, it, it's referring to a very lowly uh, form of service. It, it's well, Originally, it was the one who waited on tables. This is where we get our word deacon, that idea. A deacon is somebody who serves in the church, serves with the purpose of helping, alleviating the needs of those in the congregation. It's a lowly form of service. Notice, uh, the, those that are in governing places, the rulers, the kings, the presidents and prime ministers, they're, they're not gods. Contrary to the belief in Paul's time that made a god out of the Caesar. It was a cult, the Caesar cult, where they were required to worship the Caesar of Rome. But they're servants, they're divine servants. And they are servants for our good. Now, That idea uh, adds another reason how I see it. That is, it's the the government is our benefactor. They're there for our good, not only to encourage good behavior, but encouraging good behavior is for the good of all. That creates an environment where one feels safe, secure, protected. Where you feel like you can go out of your house and go for a walk at night and not fear of being robbed or whatever. So the government encourages good behavior as God's servant, and this is for our good. It encourages virtuous behavior, which benefits everyone. Now, but, on the other side, now here's something else. Now, this is the negative side of government, but this is actually a positive thing. When he says, But if you do wrong, be afraid. See, Paul is underlining this. He's framing it in in different ways, but he He's really underscoring this, that the government is there to protect, 
the common good, to encourage good behavior, to restrain sin, to make people afraid of breaking the law. But if you do good, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Now, this is this. What is a sword used for? A sword is only used in this context for one thing, and that's to execute the ultimate penalty for lawbreaking, capital punishment. And here you can argue for capital punishment from Paul. In Romans 13, you don't have to go back to Genesis chapter 9. That whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. Genesis 9. I can't remember the verse. It's early. I think it's 9.6. But capital punishment is taught in both Testaments. This is the sword of execution. Be afraid. Government is armed with the ultimate authority to punish bad behavior. For, he goes on, for he is the servant of God. Again, he's saying this about government is God's servant, not not a deity, not to be worshipped, but a servant of God. And that's how those that are in leadership in government should see themselves. And if they were instructed biblically by those around them, they would make them aware. <laughs> you know, you got a serious responsibility because you are representing God to the people. You are his servant. You better exercise your authority in a, in a godly manner. He is God's servant an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So there it's very clear, it's very strong, the way Paul puts it. So actually, when they're carrying out the ultimate punishment for the ultimate sins or crimes that can be committed, and we all know what they are, that they are actually executing the wrath of God upon an individual. Strong. They're avengers of God's wrath. So they administer justice as God's agent against lawbreakers. Now, verse 6. Therefore, one must be in subjection. So he's reiterating this of being in submission to government. One must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but now he adds another reason. Actually, this is the fifth reason for uh, submission to governing authorities. He adds this, for the sake of conscience. For the sake of conscience. So in other words, we know that we should be in compliance here, that we should not be breaking the law. This is inherent because every man and woman has the law of God written upon their hearts. They know that murder is wrong, robbery and stealing is wrong, and so on. The gross crimes committed against one another in this life. 
and to follow the government and do the right thing, engage in good behavior that has the approval not only of the government, but of your own conscience, Paul adds. Do it because you know it's morally right. You know that this is the right thing to do. So Paul adds that as another reason. We don't want to go against conscience. It's dangerous, as Martin Luther told him, to go against your conscience. When he stood to defend himself before the diet of worms. So do it for conscience sake. Now as we come to the end here in verses 6 and 7, Paul reminds us of a couple of important ways that are perhaps neglected or taken advantage of by people who claim to be in a, uh, in a position of submission to the government as Christians. A couple of ways here that we show our submission to government. And what do you think it has to do with? <laughs> Paying taxes. Notice how he puts this, verse 6. It begins with, for the same reason you also pay taxes. Now, what he means by for the same reason, he's just going back to what he just said, for conscience sake, for the sake of conscience, we pay taxes. So, you know, back in those days, taxes have been around forever. And they had their taxes in the Roman Empire. And the, and the Jewish people had their temple tax, a way of getting revenue from the people in order for uh, them to carry on the services and so on of the temple. In fact, both, both of those taxes are mentioned in the Gospels with respect to our Lord. Uh, when the, the Pharisees came to him and said, you know, they thought they were going to trap the Lord Jesus, and they asked him, is it lawful to pay tribute, or taxes, same word here, this is the, the Roman tax, to Caesar or not? What's he going to say to this? How's he, how's he going to answer that? It's a beautiful answer that comes down to us. He says, show me a coin. Whose image is on this coin? Notice Jesus didn't even have a coin in his pocket. Just a little sideline. Show me a coin. Whose image is on it? Caesar's. Yes, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. What, a, what an answer. Then when they came to Jesus and his disciples uh, wanting the temple tax that Matthew records. Only Matthew talks about this. It's one of Jesus' miracles. Such an interesting one in Matthew 17. Does your master pay the temple tax? And Jesus has this discussion with Peter about it. This is the tribute that is mentioned by Paul. The revenue, rather. This is the word, yeah, revenue to whom revenue. This is what they were asking for in Matthew 17 when they talked about the temple tax. This is the revenue. And he told Peter, go down. Yes, but Peter answered him and said, yes, my master pays it. And Jesus tells Peter, go down and cast in your line and the fish you take out will have a coin in its mouth. 
Yeah, it's amazing. And pay it. Pay it to them. That's how he paid his temple tax. So notice what Paul says here. For this reason, you also pay taxes to four. And here's the reason why we pay our taxes. For the authorities are the ministers of God. Now, this is, this is putting it now in, a, in, a, in another light, almost taking it up a notch. From saying that they are servants of God, he now says that the governing authorities are God's ministers. This, this is telling us that they're, this is almost a religious service that the government is performing. I mean, that does help, help you to deal with politicians. They, in, a, in a way, they're, they're God's ministers. They're carrying out a ministry. At least that's how they should see themselves, and we should see them like that as well. So they're performing a religious function, a service for God, Devoting themselves to the ministry of government. Hmm. So it gives, it gives politics kind of a religious character. Here you can make an argument why Christians should be involved in it. Right here. Yes, you can be... a. a a very good politician if you are already a believer because you know what is right. you got a passage like this to go from. So paying our taxes to the government, it continues to provide uh, the services that are needed for the good of society as our benefactor. So we need to support God's ministers in Washington, D.C. and Sacramento. Let's make it real personal. And Paul adds to paying uh, what is owed to all, these these two different kinds of taxes, the tribute and the revenue. Paul adds also... Pay respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor. So that's a good way for him to conclude this about government, that we need to respect and to honor those that are in these positions. Not always easy, but this is what the Word of God asks or exhorts God's people to to conclude then, Paul, Paul has presented the government in a, in a beautiful light here to encourage submission, to encourage honor and respect, to encourage paying taxes, to encourage good behavior for the benefit of everybody. But Paul doesn't deal with a government who abuses its power. And Rome eventually does. In fact, Paul is going to meet his, the end of his life because of the governing authorities in Rome. As we all know, Paul was a martyr 
as all the apostles were except John. So they overstepped their authority, even in Paul's time. They abused their power. They violated human rights. What do you do with a government that commands what God forbids? Or flip it around, that forbids what God commands. I mean, there have been situations like that. Christians have found themselves living in under a government like that. So we have examples in the Old and the New Testament of people, and they're commended for it, who had to defy the government in order to obey God rather than man. And, you know, I'm referring to Acts 5. We covered that when we went through the book of Acts. So that's your New Testament example. What was the context of that? Well, it was the apostles being arrested, and they were told, you can't preach anymore in, in this name. And their response was, well... We're going to obey God rather than you. And they continued on preaching the message of the Messiah in Jerusalem, willing to pay the consequences, but they defied the authorities. But how about the Old Testament? You've got wonderful examples in the Old Testament. Let's start with the first one, Exodus chapter 1. Remember the Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. This is the next Pharaoh after Joseph died. He did not know Joseph. Didn't know what a blessing Joseph had been to the nation. And they saw the children of Israel multiplying. So he's going to do what they've done in China. Forbid the male children to live that are born in the country. And the midwives of the Israelites who helped the women with their pregnancy and delivering delivering their babies, they couldn't go along with this. Remember, they gave an excuse for why they were allowing the male children to live, and so the nation continued to multiply. But they're they're commended for, for this, for defying the Pharaoh who made this law. Now, the book of Daniel has two wonderful examples And we're all familiar with it. So the example of the three Hebrew young men who defied Nebuchadnezzar's orders to worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. God brought them through it miraculously. There was a fourth person in there with them. When they came out of the furnace, there wasn't even the smell of smoke on their clothes. What What a miraculous preservation of God's servants we have in Daniel 3. So, and then Daniel himself had to defy Darius about the praying to anyone in the kingdom but him. You all know how they, they persuaded the, the king of the, Medo, the Medo-Persian Empire that took over after Nebuchadnezzar, after Belshazzar, rather, his grandson. And they came to power, and those leaders are mentioned in the book of Daniel. 
And he had made the law, and you can't break a law of the Medes and the Persians. Once that, that decree is made, that's it. And they had tricked him into making a law that no one could pray to anybody but the king. Well, Daniel was going to do what he always did three times a day, open his window and pray to the God in heaven. So this got Daniel thrown into the lion's den. He wasn't going to change. He defied the government. He defied that law of the Medes and the Persians. And again, he was miraculously delivered from the wild beasts. So there's examples in the Word of God when God's people may be called upon to have to disobey the government. At certain times... So that is how it's handled. So we live in a wonderful land where we still enjoy our freedoms, though sometimes it appears that they're being encroached upon. But the Lord will bless us when we follow his word, do what it says, try to give honor to whom honor and respect to whom respect, and to be in a place of submission. And it's for the common good. And that's how I think we need to see the governments there as God's minister, God's servant. They're doing something for the good of all. And we should thank God for it because if we didn't have government, we've had, what would we have? We'd have anarchy and it'd be horrible, be terrible if we lived in a place like that. We would not be here, no doubt. So may the Lord bless this word today and encourage us. Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.